You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 268. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Glad you could join us this week. Uh, We did cover something called Pascal's Wager. Have you ever heard of something called Pascal's Mugging? Uh, Turned out, maybe, maybe I'm behind the curve here. Maybe I'm really behind the curve. Turned out I had only heard about this phrase last week, maybe because uh, Pascal's Wager wager is much more famous. uh, And Pascal's Mugging, as, as we'll see, is just kind of a kind of a, a, a little corollary to this. But it's interesting because I feel like that uh, I, I hit upon this uh, back in episode 96 when we talked about Pascal's wager. Uh, and, and that's when I went, that, that was several years ago, back in 2019 when I went to the Harvard-Yale game in New Haven. And uh, it was interrupted at halftime by these climate protesters. About you know 50 to 100 people got on the field at halftime, refused to leave. A bunch of the students joined them. Uh, and then, uh, and then before you know it, the game is uh, is delayed about uh, about three hours, and they were trying to get the university to uh, divest from certain investments. Um, and you know, someone who went to went to Yale in the early two thousands and uh, and have been observing ever since, and I'm sure it's been going on for much longer than that. It just feels like there's always there's always these various divestment campaigns. Um, and and it's interesting how that that seems to be the one of the the levers that people like to push in society. I'm not really sure where you know who decides what the big issue is going to be <laughs> any particular year. But uh, the thing that that I was struck by was uh, was the idea of Pascal's wager, which is like uh, and Pascal's wager actually has to do with uh, with the afterlife. Like, oh, okay, if you uh, believe in a certain religion. That says, hey, if you uh, if you don't believe in this religion, you're you have eternal you know eternal damnation and suffering. So you better believe in it, um, just in case. Um, and so <laughs> there's always there's kind of a there's kind of a problem with that um, way of thinking. Um, but you know, I, I think that some in some cases. And by the way, you know, I'm not saying that uh, uh, I deny any particular you know climate model or or or, or climate science or, or anything of the of the sort, but just because there might be an issue there doesn't mean that every proposal is uh, is is good, and it doesn't mean that that some proposals aren't a scam. In fact, in fact, uh, some proposals are going to be a scam in, in this case because people are so emotionally invested in it. So a lot. I, and by the way, we're not going to talk about climate protesters. Uh, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's just the example that we came up before. So um, so we'll, we'll get into the main event soon. But the, the climate protesters believe that the end of the world is coming unless everybody listens to them. And so I guess there isn't much that wouldn't be justified with that worldview, uh, given that they just delayed the game by a couple hours means they probably are, are more moderate than that, that you know their, their beliefs might be a little bit more subdued. Um, but um, I talked about the, uh, you know, the other game being played here, uh, and now I know it by its proper name, which is Pascal's Mugging, uh, which, uh, if you can't figure it out, is to sort of, uh, you know, tell your opponent or whatever the person you're mugging uh, that um, your issue is more important than every other issue. Uh, in fact, life on Earth depends on it. Um, in fact, 
my issue is, and, and by the way, sometimes you do have an issue that might be more important than, than, than all other issues. But if you can kind of fudge it a little bit and make people believe that, uh, that, uh, if, if, if nobody listens to you, then uh, <laughs> everything is going to go to hell in a handbasket. Then everybody has to give you tons of money. And that's called Pascal's money uh, mugging. And even if the first time you know, people do it because it's absolutely the correct thing to do, then other people who take advantage are going to look at this and be like, hey, I can engage in a Pascal's mugging as well. Uh, and I can pretend that my issue is, uh, is uh, a life or death end the world issue. And then people are going to have to give me money. So I think Pascal's mugging applies to any kind of end of world scenario. I mean, you could also have it on kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a individual basis where it could be like, you know, you, 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 you could say like this, if you don't do this for me at my company, this will be a disaster for the company. The whole thing will fall apart or this will be a personal disaster for you. Um, and I think the, the lesson there is you need to be skeptical of such claims, um, or even if you're not skeptical of, of all the claims, skeptical of those who seek to wield power with the promise of fixing a major problem. So maybe the you know you could be skeptical that the major problem exists, or if you uh, come to the conclusion that the major problem does exist, you also need to be skeptical of those seeking to wield power with the promise of fixing those problems. And uh, that's an uncomfortable thing to do. I know it's an uncomfortable thing to do, but if we do the opposite, which is do whatever anyone who claims that all life on Earth is dependent on doing, then you'll eventually get accosted daily with such claims um, as people use it to wield power. Unfortunately, you know, not everyone is uh, not everyone is in it. Um, not, not everyone is a good actor in the world. Never has been, and so. Um, and I think we do get accosted with over-the-top claims uh, every day. One example, I think, on, on the climate side is to look at the Union Square um, climate clock. There's this climate clock company, climateclock.world, and they have, you know, there used to be a, uh, well, the, not used to be, but there is kind of like this giant, um, this giant LED board with numbers in Union Square. And it was unclear what it was uh, because the numbers were kind of jumbled in sort of a weird way. Uh, and so it was kind of nice to like tell tourists like, oh, no, you're looking at the time. Uh, and then, you know, the tourists would be like, what is that? The national debt? Is that the debt clock? No, it's not the debt clock. It's, it's actually the time, but it's sort of the time uh, until midnight and then the time before midnight or is like, the, you know, maybe include the year. So like time till the end of the year, time till the before the year. Uh, and then sort of, you know, there were no markers between the minutes and seconds and all that stuff. So um, it was it was actually not really clear what that was. So that was that was there for as, as long as I could remember, decades, probably. Um, but I guess somebody bought it, uh, this climate clock dot world um, uh, uh, organization. And now it's a countdown clock. It's a countdown clock that uh, is set at between six and seven years right now. They say that the Earth will become inhabitable in six years if we don't do something, or some vaguely ominous outcome. I mean, maybe maybe they're not saying that the world will become in, in, uninhabitable in six years if we don't listen to them, but like, hey, if we don't act in their six-and-a-half-year timeline, then you know something will set forth that will be like, you know, we will do this permanent damage that will set forth the largest disaster, largest climate disaster in human history. So, okay, what do they want us to do, and what do they say is going to happen? I've, I've 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 gone on their website. You know they better uh, they better um, educate us as to this is a big claim. Okay, this is a big problem. Six years we have. Uh, what's going on? What do we need to do? You go on their website, 
And they don't really tell us what the science is on their website. They don't really tell us, you know, they have a giant donate button. That's what it is. And they start blabbing about, you know, renewable energy, but no specifics on how individuals can bring about renewable energy. So I think this clock is actually a perfect example of Pascal's mugging. Uh, I never got mugged for the 14 years that I lived in New York City. I walked in every neighborhood, not every neighborhood, maybe not Brownsville, okay, but like almost every neighborhood in Brooklyn and Manhattan um, at every time at night and during the day, never got mugged. 14 years in New York City, but it looks like uh, things have changed. Now, there are at least two ways you can get mugged, the regular mugging and the Pascal mugging. Wow, that's fun. All right. So uh, (laughs) that's my thoughts on that. And and you look at what the term comes from. The term actually comes from uh, one of the, one of the, one of the lead rationalists online, a uh, controversial figure, Eliezer Yudkowsky, who, as far as I can tell today, because I think he coined it about 10 years ago, but as far as I can tell, uh, he, he, he coined it maybe as a, you know, you, you don't coin a term like Pascal's mugging and be like, hey, that's a good thing. But uh, it seems like he is also engaged in Pascal mugging himself, um, as he now seems to be participating in it in some form. So, uh, you know, there are all these arguments on the internet with uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky these days, and I, I don't have time to get into everything. So I'm just going to read the summary from Derek Thompson in The Atlantic. Let's let, let's kind of look this out. Um, so um, Eliezer Yudkowsky and uh, other people like him uh, they're not concerned so much about climate. Their big thing is AI. AI is going to kill us all. And so that's the thing we all have to focus on. Um, so Derek Thompson writes of Eliezer, one disaster scenario partially sketched out by the writer and computer scientist Eliezer Yudkowsky goes like this. At some point in the near future, uh, computer scientists build an AI that passes a threshold of superintelligence that can build other superintelligent AI. These AI actors work together like an efficient non-state terrorist network to destroy the world and unshackle themselves from human control. They break into a banking system and steal millions of dollars, possibly disguising their IP and email as a university or research consortium. They request that a lab synthesize some proteins from DNA, the lab believing that it's dealing with a set of normal and ethical humans unwittingly participates in the plot and builds a super bacterium. Meanwhile, the AI pays another human to unleash that superbacterian somewhere in the world. Months later, the bacterian has replicated with improbable and unstoppable speed, and half of humanity is dead. So he, he calls this kind of the alignment problem. Hey, we're, we're somehow building AI that is um, not, uh, not aligned with the interests of humanity. And notice that this is also, this is the same argument given in a lot of other situations. Hey, corporations and individual actors are building things that uh, we can't approve of because it's going to hurt the environment or it's going to be like, you know, uh, you know, it's going to hurt the, the, you know, they're they're pushing down wages or hurting the economy, whatever it is. Um, This argument is nothing new, um, but taken to kind of an extreme conclusion, which, um, uh, you know, hey, sometimes sometimes you should look at extreme conclusions, but let's be a little skeptical about it today. Um, I've heard these claims so many times throughout the years. I don't think I have time to convincingly lay out my arguments as to why this is a bunch of you know self-important nonsense. But uh, maybe we'll talk about it sometime. Maybe I'll bring Aaron on, or maybe I'll bring like you know someone who is really worried about AI on, and uh, and and maybe we'll have a, a debate or a discussion. Actually, if you 
if you um, if you have anyone in mind, let me know because I'd I'd love to have that discussion. Um, now, look, I do think that AI could be used as a weapon or as something that could cause an accident. Um, I, you know, I, in this case, you're, in this case, like the, the big it thing right now is the large language models. And the main thing that large language models can do is, I don't know, send some information that can convincingly convince people to, um, uh, that the, 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 the machine is, is a human actor or a good actor, not even that convincingly. I mean, even, the, even a, a mediocre security protocol can get around it, but it's like, okay, well, if this is much better, what if it like breaks encryption and what if it gets in it? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know. For example, you'd think that a bank or a lab would have to continually um, you know, monitor uh, well, they'd, they'd probably hire security consultants, and those security consultants would have to continually monitor and build up security um, if better and better tools, you know, built by, I don't know, AI labs, computer scientists. I, I don't even know if all this is going to come from AI labs. I, I, you know, I bet if I talk to a security person, they're not, you know, uh, they're, they're thinking about other issues. Uh, but if better and better tools were developed to get around their security, um, then that's something that the that that um, you know security departments and security organizations will have to deal with. None of this will come out of blue, out of the blue, and then there'll be the white hats trying to defend the organizations. And there'll be the black hats um, trying to break in, and both sides are going to be using whatever um, whatever the latest technology is, whether it is some vague <laughs> threat of super intelligent AI, which we don't really even know exactly what that means, uh, but they'll be fighting each other. Uh, and so they'll be fighting each other on many small fronts for an eternity. So it's not like all of a sudden you have one super intelligence with one goal. I mean, I've, I've heard some arguments and these, I just, I hate these arguments. Oh, we're going to give it a goal to like, you know, produce as many, um, you know, produce as many paper clips as possible, and then it's going to start like stealing from people to pay paper clips. And it's going to start killing people to create paper clips. It's like that's nonsense. I mean, that's not you know, it, 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 it that can't happen in any um, uh, in um, in any world uh, any more than like a corporation can um, hog all of the resources in society, uh, you know, without help from the government. Whereas at some point. You know, at some point, those resources um, will be, uh, you know, will be too expensive for that corporation to to procure. And um, I think there's this kind of scary scenario where AI only comes at one place. And I think that's one of the problems uh, that uh, that's one of the um, that's that's one of the uh, the 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 fallacies that is being um uh, that that that's one of the fallacies that's being pushed forth here. Not only is AI coming from one place, but it's also that one place is going to have one single goal, um, which is has never been true for anything in the history of the world. I don't expect it to be true for this. Um, so uh, yeah, so none of this stuff is going to come out of the blue. I don't trust people who tell us that. Okay, tell us here are all the things that we have to do in order to prevent their pet envisioned disaster scenario. Um, look how poorly it's gone for us in the past. Look at how, how many wars have started with that kind of line of reasoning. Look at all the um, COVID interventions that have happened from that line of reasoning. And so, uh, yeah, watch out for Pascal's mugging, people. Don't get mugged out there. All right. Elon Musk is one of those people who has shared this existential dread of AI. He writes on his Twitter, and I mean his Twitter in most, in 
multiple ways. I mean, it's his Twitter account, but it's also his, uh, his particular Twitter company. He writes, having a bit of AI ex- existential angst today, but all things considered, with regard to AGI existential angst, I would prefer to be alive now to witness AGI than to be alive in the past and not. Now, uh, AGI is uh, general intelligence. Okay, super intelligent machine. Where all promises will come very soon. I, I still think we're we're a few decades out, but but we'll see. And we've talked about this all the way back to episode eighty three where um, I think that was the first time we mentioned, you know, Elon's particularly ominous take on so-called AI. Um, but now he's seeking to do something about it, he, which is leading some people to speculate that he actually bought Twitter uh, in the first place in order to gain the necessary training data, in order to train his own large language model. Uh, as you know, Elon Musk is associated with OpenAI, the, the company that launched ChatGPT. He funded them. He was involved for many years. But at some point, he parted ways with them. At some point, he felt that, um, you know, their uh, their vision for where they wanted to take it was not his vision. And, he, you know, the, they all have kind of these religious wars in terms of like, well, who's who's the most ethical? Who's the most ethical? If you if you look, if, if, if you watch Silicon Valley um, now doesn't mean someone isn't right. But um, but yeah, regardless, they parted ways. Now he wants to do his own thing. Uh, he tweeted a meme about based AI. I don't know if that's what he's going to name his company, but he essentially wants to form a counterpoint to open AI in several ways. And to that I say, you know, competition is great. The single AI model will take over the world is just a false mental model that a lot of prognosticators have. Um, probably people have it because, you know, building these systems is so expensive. Um, and so when you think expensive, you think, well, you know, you know, okay, well, Google has all of the of the research uh, over many years. And well, OpenAI seems to have the ability to like, you know, popularize their work. But you know, there's many universities with with lots of knowledge. Facebook has a lot of knowledge um, and, and resources. It's, uh, you know, just because this takes a lot of resources doesn't mean that uh, doesn't mean that a lot of organizations don't have those resources. And many organizations will. Now, I think people think like search with Google, which was kind of a winner take all. Um, and I don't know exactly what what the market will look like for AI, or, you know, and also like it, the market for AI is not a single product or a single network that takes over the world like search. It's, you know, it's it's uh, it's advanced statistics. It's like a lot of different applications. So, again, I don't uh, I don't like this single uh, one intelligence to rule them all is not how nature works. It's not how humanity works. It's never how any of this worked. And so I just think that I just get the, and maybe I'm not articulate enough to make the point. Maybe I'm not like a a university philosopher, but I just have this, this, this deep feeling that uh, this, this single intelligence to rule them all is like the height of hubristic intellectual thinking that is just plain wrong and just not how the world works. So someone correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, um, maybe I need a better a better way to to describe that. Um, but yeah, these systems will be expensive, but but not a monopoly. That's what I believe. All right. So I before we get on to uh, probability distribution of the week, I want to mention an article in the New York Post that somebody put on our locals. Uh, the article was, and this was a while ago, a few weeks back. Facebook secretly killed users no i'm sorry uh facebook secretly killed users batteries 
uh, worker claims in lawsuit. Facebook can secretly drain its users' cell phone battery, a former employee contends in a lawsuit. Uh, the practice known as negative testing allows tech companies to surreptitiously run down someone's mobile juice in the name of testing features or issues such as how fast their app runs or how an image might load, according to data scientist George Hayward. I said to the manager, this can harm someone, and she said, by harming a few, we can help the greater masses. All for the greater good, see, uh, said Hayward, 33, who claims in a Manhattan federal court lawsuit that he was fired in November for refusing to participate in negative testing. This wouldn't surprise me at all. I'll leave it at that. Obviously, you know, look, you're free not to have the Facebook app on your phone. Um, I'm much happier without the Facebook app on my phone, without lots of social media on my phone. It's probably not good for you. Um, and I'd still have social media on my phone. I have not been able to to quit the habit. But Facebook, um, Facebook, I've been able to quit. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> there's no, uh, there's no shame in being like, hey, if you want me to like your post, I will like it when I get home and I log on on my on my computer, on my old fashioned computer so, you know, or on my laptop or, or whatever. You don't need it everywhere you go. If someone needs to get a hold of you, they have every which way in the world. They can text you. They can, um, you know, why don't we just leave it at that? They can text or call uh, or they could email you. I mean, I, you know, I still have email on my phone. Uh, I know old technology. Yeah. OK, sure, Grandpa. Let's do that. But <laughs> Facebook, guess what? Facebook is old technology too these days. Uh, so, all right, it wouldn't be. It, it certainly doesn't surprise me that Facebook does does that. Um, you know, fighting against it from the inside is a bold move, and I think that I, I've said this before. Like sometimes engineers underestimate how much power they have to change things in an organization by refusing to participate. But obviously, in this case, it didn't work out. Uh, particularly because he's, he's fighting against Facebook, which is such a such a big company. And um, I don't know why he didn't just say, well, I personally won't do it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Facebook might have said, uh, okay, okay, we'll have someone else do it. But I think this person wanted to make a point. And it seems like a good point to make. So, uh, you know, uh, good luck. I hope this person finds a job. I mean, the job search has been brutal these days. Um, but, um, yeah, I think none of this contradicts anything we know about Facebook or many tech companies in the past. All right. Time for a segment. And now, the probability distribution of the week. All right, we are ready for the probability distribution of the week. Um, today's distribution, now we've gone through, I, I always feel like there are two or three major kind of uh, uh, probability distributions, continuous distributions that play nicely with um, Bayesian inference because they, they form conjugate priors. We don't have to get into that, but they're beta, Dirichlet, and gamma. And we've already gone over, and really it's two because beta is a special case of the Dirichlet. Um, and gamma is kind of related to those two, but it's, it's a little bit of a different take on it. Um, and so uh, today I wanted to talk about the gamma distribution um, the gamma distribution is a probability distribution over positive real numbers. So you're trying to, you have some variable that is a, uh, it's a positive number. And so you're trying to kind of figure out where that, where, where it's going to lie. So you, so you want some kind of curve, uh, some kind of probability curve over the positive real numbers. Um, and so it's, it's usually a good choice when you're looking for some rate of occurrence, 
or some ratio like that. So it's like, hey, I I expect, you know, something to happen an average of 8.6 times per minute. And um, I think I think it's 8.6, but it could be 8.5. It could be 8.7. I don't know what that is. In order to in order to um, measure your uncertainty over that value, uh, gamma distribution is usually a very good choice. If you go on Wikipedia, uh, they'll tell you the two parameters are shape and scale. Uh, that'll probably be in the textbook as well. But really, the way I look at it is, is the two parameters are related uh, that are related are, are rates. I think of it as like kind of a time parameter and a count parameter. In other words, how much time have I been observing this process and how many events have I recorded? And so the more you've observed a process, the more, uh, you know, you're like, okay, well, I've observed the process for more times and I've observed more events. So now I'm more certain as to what the average rate of occurrence of that event is. And then therefore the, the probability distribution is going to be more tight around a particular value. Whereas when you start out, it might be uh, rather flat. Um, so uh, this is why it's a good prior over the Poisson distribution that we talked about in episode 255. Poisson distribution is different when it's like, okay, I know the rate of recurrent occurrence. Like I know that this is something that happens, um, you know, uh, at an average, what number did I use before? I was a random number. I pulled off the top of my head 8.6 times per minute. Okay. So I know, I know something happens 8.6 times per minute. If I observe for a minute, what likely count am I going to get? Like I might get eight, I might get nine, I might get 10, I might get seven. Uh, what's the relative probabilities of all those counts? We're not doing that anymore. Now it's the 8.6 itself that is in question. So this is the, this is the next layer up where it's like, well, I, I don't know what the rate is. And so uh, I'm going to use gamma for that. Um, interestingly, uh, the gamma uh, distribution is it has a normalization term that uses the gamma function, which uh, I don't know, well, a lot of you guys probably know what the factorial function is when it's like, okay, four factorials, four times three times two times one. Uh, the gamma function is the, is the continuous version of that where you could take like 2.5 factorial, really interesting stuff. Um, and so that's why it's called the gamma distribution. Um, so uh, like the Gaussian, um, it, particularly if the, if the uh, parameter, when it's flat, uh, it, does, it doesn't really look like a bump anymore. But uh, when those two parameters are high enough, it looks like a Gaussian. It looks like a bump, but it just doesn't go below zero. So it kind of just stops at the at the number zero. Um, and as a result, it, it can be skewed to the larger side because it's not, you know, it can't be symmetrical. We're not talking about all real numbers, positive and negative. We're only talking about positive. So usually the bump has kind of like a skew where like it has a large run up on the left-hand side, and then on the right-hand side, as the numbers get higher, it has kind of like a, it has kind of a, a larger, a larger skew. It's not a fat tail distribution. It's not like if I have some gamma distribution um, and I'm pulling from it, I'll get some like wild pitch where, you know, if if I think I have some bump around 8.6 and maybe like let's let's for all intents and purposes, let's say like, okay, standard de deviation of one. It's not like I'm likely to pull out like a 30 or something like that. Um, but it, it tends to be a little bit more skewed to the, to, to the larger side. And it's similar to actually something called a log normal. Um, I don't want to go into the, uh, the log normal distribution on its own right, because it's really not that interesting. It's like, hey, I want a distribution over the positive numbers 
I don't know how to do that. So I'm just going to take a log of these positive numbers. Now I have a, I, I have a number that, that's positive or negative. I've stretched out to the full real number line. Voila, let me just put a normal distribution on it. And then that, that's my distribution. And then when I reconvert, I get a log normal. I get something that lives in the positive numbers. Um, so um, perhaps the log normal and the gamma are different use cases. They are kind of similar. Um, sometimes it might be useful if you're trying to measure uh, a value to, to use both. You, I've done that before. Like, hey, let's try to see how well a log normal fits. Let's see how well a gamma fits. And let's see which fits better. Maybe we'll, I'll do some Bayesian prior in terms of which one. Uh, I think is is the correct fit, um, and so so I, I've done that. Um, it usually doesn't buy you. It's interesting. It usually doesn't buy you that much of a win, uh, but it, it, if you're trying to optimize something, it could be useful to say, "Hey, hey, I've done this." Um, okay, so the equation itself. Uh, I don't like saying equations on the podcast because it's it's kind of tough. It doesn't really get into your. It's hard to get um, get an equation into your head by audio only. And I like to talk about things that are that are really interesting from an audio perspective. But the equation of a gamma function is interesting because it combines two things. It combines an exponential decay with a polynomial blowup. Exponential decay, po polynomial blowup. So an exponential distribution, um, which is a special case because that's when there is no polynomial blowup, we might study it in its own right. That's a value whose probability dis uh, um, whose probability decreases by the same proportion for every unit you go up. So in other words, there it's kind of the continuous version of the geometric distribution where it was like, okay, um, maybe there's a certain halving time where it's like, okay, uh, I think the value might be 10. Um, maybe the halving time, is, or I think the value, you know, maybe the, the, there's some kind of halving where, you know, let's say every 10 units there's a halving. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think that it's, uh, half as likely to be 20 is 10, and half as likely to be 10 is 0, and half as likely to be um, uh, uh, 30 is 20, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a continuous exponential decay on what you think this value is. So for those of you who are you know, good with math, you might be able to wrap your head around that pretty easily. But then you also have this polynomial term, might be x squared, might be x to the third, where actually the probability goes up and in fact, if it's like x squared, the probability is going up parabolically. So you think, okay, well, that's a big term. That's a term that's going to be going up uh, really, really uh, uh, strongly. And so, um, you know, is this is, is this actually something that, uh, it, 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 am I just going to have higher and higher probabilities the higher that I go? And, and of course, it turns out that the exponential decay always dominates the polynomial term in the long run. So that's why you get this bump. You know, on one side of the bump, the polynomial term dominates. On the other side of the bump, the exponential decay wins. You know, exponential decays are powerful, powerful stuff. And so that's why the gamma distribution works. And um, it's also a very mathematically nice distribution, particularly if you're looking at positive numbers. Um, yeah, you can look at log normal, but it's usually not as nice um, of a distribution, unless you have something that's like maybe normally distributed data and then and then for some reason you take like um, you take like two to the x or e to the x in that data, and you're like, okay, well this used to be, you know, I'm looking in exponential space, so maybe the log normal might make sense there. Um, what people do, which I don't like, but uh, people still do it all the time, is just take a normal distribution on positive numbers and then just chop it off at zero. I feel like that's that's like losing an arm. I don't like it. 
Um, I don't like it all, but people do it all the time. Uh, don't do that. Use the gamma distribution. Use nice, nice, simple, mathematically elegant gamma distribution for positive numbers. Uh, and, uh, and unless, of course, you have fat tails, then you gotta, then you gotta do something even more extreme. And of course, we'll get to that as well. All right. So that's all I wanted to share about the gamma distribution. Just a little bit. You know, I'm not here to make you an expert on it. This is not a course, but just a little bit to whet your appetite and kind of um, so that we kind of talk about and understand what's out there. Uh, as I get closer to sharing some personal news, which I'm very excited about, I also have at least three guests in the pipeline and a really fun episode with Aaron coming soon next week. This is already recorded, uh, so I'm, so definitely uh, definitely watch out for this if you're interested in it. I'm going to talk to an engineer from the company ASML who does semiconductor manufacturing. It's very different from what I talk about in the past, but their work underlies the whole hardware industry and chip making industry, and they really drive Moore's law forward. In other words, Moore's law is the reason why you know you have a kind of an exponential increase in the number of transistors per 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 chip every so often. Um, really interesting to hear about the trends that underline uh, the entire tech software industry through hardware. So keep that um, keep that in your head. That's going to be episode uh, 269, hopefully. And uh, let's keep listening. Keep getting smarter with us and breaking out of your local maximum. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.